the Word app has been fantastic for me. It goes everywhere I go, whether it's on the way to work or me listening to it while I'm jogging. It's with me everywhere I go. Hearing the Word is so easy. Uh, it's quick and it's mobile, so even if you haven't been involved in a group uh, all year, you can jump right in at any time. Well, good morning, Seacoast. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, anybody enjoying their summer so far? Anybody been on a trip yet? Done, done any kind of summer vacation? Some of you guys. Our, our family just did. We had all 14 of the Surratt grandkids uh, were in Orlando this past week. And, um, and my wife, a couple weeks ago, she, she told me, hey, I've got something that I need to do in Atlanta, meeting some friends there. Do you mind just taking the kids home from Disney and I'll go to Orlando, or I'll go to Atlanta? And I was like, yeah, it's no problem. Uh, that was a bad call. I don't know if you've ever made a bad call, but, uh, but, but I did. But we're having fun. I was, I was the first one in line to get kids checked into Kids Coast this weekend and uh, re ready to go. But, but I'll tell you, all of you, all of you made a good call. You made a good decision in being here this weekend. I'm so excited about what God's gonna do uh, this weekend. We talk a lot about the ark and about the fact that we plant churches. If you're brand new to Seacoast today or maybe you're just checking it out on summer vacation, one of the things that's of value to us is planting life-giving churches. In fact, we wanna see a life-giving church in every community in the world. We believe every community should have a life-giving church. And so we plant a lot of them. And, but really what makes the churches happen is not only your generosity that allows us to be part of sowing into that, but is great leaders. And about six years ago, a little more than six years ago, a great leader who was on our staff uh, came to us and said, man, I really feel like God is calling me to plant a life-giving church in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. We thought, well, surely that wasn't God. Uh, let's go back to the, but, but, but no, sure enough, it was God. In fact, Pastor Sean uh, grew up in Monk's Corner and, uh, and saw something, saw a need for, for, for a church in Monk's Corner, and it's been amazing to watch what God has done. And so I'm gonna introduce you to a, a guest today, but he's actually not a guest, he's one of, one of us. He's a brother to me, he's a son of our house, and he's someone that we planted, and God has just been doing incredible things through Ark Church Plant number 207, uh, which is Freedom Church, which has been going for about six years, and I was able to preach there just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm telling you what, it is amazing what God is doing up at Freedom Church. Easter, they had over 2,000 people come. I think we were 20 years old as a church by the time we had 2,000 people coming uh, to Seacoast, but God, in, in just six short years, has done so much through this incredible leader and his family, and so I want y'all to welcome Sean back home. Give him a homecoming welcome as he joins us this weekend. Well, thank you, and it really is um, home for Connie and I. I was 27 years old when I came on staff at Seacoast, and when you're 27, you think you know everything, uh, and when you're 43 like I am now, you realize you didn't know hardly anything, and you know even less now. Like, that's kind of what, what I know now, but we grew up here. Um, we had our son, Sam, right when we left, so almost all of our children were born here. Uh, we learned how to be married here. We learned how to do ministry from Pastor Greg, and we're mentored by one of the greatest pastors that our generation has ever seen in Pastor Greg Surratt, and uh, then got the pleasure of being planted by the ark, and you've been so supportive throughout the whole thing, and, and I want to give you uh, just a little bit of an update because you have been so supportive of what's been happening at Freedom Church and just let you know what we've been up to over there in Berkeley County. Um, and these are unbelievable uh, things that tell uh, a story about what's happening. And so feel free 
to clap when I tell you. In fact, please do, because it just makes me feel better if you'll do that, all right? Uh, the first thing is, we've had over 500 people ask Jesus to save them uh, in the six years since we planted uh, Freedom Church. <clears throat> We've also had 430 of those step across the line and be baptized at Freedom Church. We have 430 baptisms in six years. One, one weekend, I think we baptized like 68 people, and the next day I just kind of walked around like this. It was like, it was amazing. It was incredible. It was the best workout I've done in 17 years, and so it was great. The, the other, is we're averaging about 1,500 people right now every single weekend, which is just incredible um, to see what's happening. Um, how many of you are on the dream team here at Seacoast Church? You're part of the dream team. You volunteer in some area. You're my heroes as a pastor. And we have 608 people right now who currently serve on our dream team, making the dream come alive every single weekend at Seacoast Church, being fulfilled at Freedom Church, being fulfilled in what they're doing. Also, we send um, three or four teams a year over to Haiti. My wife has gone, uh, I think, three or four times now to Haiti, and we just have a passion for Haiti as a church, and we've decided to pour our resources into that, and so we also have an orphanage there, and 16 children right now, they're probably at church right now, actually, are at church because of the church that we help build that's beside the orphanage that we support, and they are having life-giving messages every single Sunday because of what Freedom Church does in Haiti. And then right here at home, um, we decided early on that we, just like Seacoast is, wanted to be a J127 type of church. That's James 127 being lived out. It says true religion is when you take care of the orphan and the widow. And so at Freedom Church over the last six years, we've had the unbelievable honor to see dozens of children uh, in foster care within our church. Um, three children have been adopted um, in our church in six years, um, some of them international, some local, and two more, one international, one local, is being are in the process of being adopted right now, which will give us five adoptions in our church. And one of those three is very, very dear to my heart. In fact, let me introduce you to my family. There's Connie and I, and there's our daughter, Isabel. If you were here 11 years ago when I was preaching on the teaching team here, you know Isabel. You heard about Isabel because she has had me wrapped around her finger since day one. She's 11 now. Hayes is eight, my tallest little boy there. And then my little mini-me right in front of me with my gla his glasses on. He's got my ears, my chin, my glasses, everything. He's just me. And that's Sam. He just turned six years old last week. And then right there in Connie's lap is little Naya. Naya came into our home when she was one year old. And we didn't know if it'd be for a few days, if it'd be for a few weeks. It was through foster care. And in February, three years later, she became a permanent part of Team Wood when we adopted her. And she's now Naya Wood. And uh, when I talk about all of that, um, it's that, is, I'm living in this right now. Like, this is going on. Like, our church is growing, amazing things are happening, uh, and I talk about the amount of stuff that's been happening, the amount of baptisms, the amount of people that have been saved. This that we're experiencing right now is that that Pastor Greg and I prayed for one Sunday when we jumped in his car and we went for a ride around Berkeley County. He wasn't preaching and I wasn't preaching and so we went and uh, just checked out Berkeley County a little bit. He said, is this where God's calling you to be? I said, it is. He says, this is the only thing you can do. It is. He said, well then let's dream about it just a little bit. And so we got to dream a little bit about what God could do 
And everything we dreamed about, everything that we talked about, the things that we were hoping for, this was that. This is that. And I want to speak to you today on the subject, this is that. In fact, we love to do touch your neighbor at Freedom Church, so would you just make me feel at home? Just touch your neighbor and tell them, this is that. Touch your other neighbor and tell them, you ain't that. You ain't that. Because I picked you second. That's how much you mean to me. Well, you've been reading through the Bible as a church, and I decided this week to read along with you just to see what you would be reading. And I came across this strangely familiar passage in the book of Joel. And the reason that I say that it was strangely familiar is because I know that Pastor Josh is reading through the book of Joel often in his studies. But if I'm just being honest, I forgot it was a book of the Bible. All right, so I went to seminary. I am a real pastor. But I was reading and I was like, oh, Joel, I haven't read that one in a long time. All right, so I'm reading it. And it's strangely familiar. Let me read it to you. It says in Joel 2, 28 through 32, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark, and the moon will turn blood red. Before that great and terrible day, the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here's the reason this was strangely familiar to me is because just a few weeks earlier, I had been reading in my personal study in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching at Pentecost, and he stands up to preach, and the Holy Spirit begins to fall, and the stuff begins to happen. If you don't know what the stuff is, people begin to speak in tongues. Um, people start, uh, you know, touching people, and they're healed. So touching your neighbor was to a whole other level at Acts chapter 2. And so they're healing people. Things are going out of control. It seems out of control. And the religious people, they walk up, and they say, man, they must be drunk, like, that's the only explanation the religious people can give to what's happening at Pentecost. And now, I don't think the religious people really thought they were drunk. It was too early in the morning um, for them to be drunk. Uh, in fact, we don't even start drinking hard liquor till 3 or 4 in Berkeley County. And so, uh, you know, I know they weren't drunk yet. But it is something that teaches us is most of the time, even your critics don't believe the things they say about you. I don't think they really believe that. They were just trying to cast shade on them and just talk about them. And what Peter knows exactly what you do when your critic is coming after you is you just continue doing what God has called you to do. And so he stands up to preach. And he begins preaching. It says in verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, Peter says. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then if you look at Acts chapter 2, 17 through 21, he just quotes from the book of Joel Exactly what we just read from the book of Joel. But look at verse 16. It says, but this is that which was spoken 
by the prophet Joel. So in other words, Joel had prophesied it. One of these religious people's prophets had said it was going to happen. The people had been anticipating it. This is what they were longing for. This is what they were praying for, the coming of the Lord's Spirit, and they were hoping for it. They were wanting it to happen. And then when it happens, they couldn't even see that it was right before their eyes. They couldn't connect this is that. This is the very thing we've been hoping for. Have you ever had that happen in your life? How many of you went to a fireworks show um, on July 4th? Anybody go to a fireworks show? Raise your hands in the air like you just don't care. Did you go to a fireworks show? I went to a fireworks show. Monk's Corner does a pretty good fireworks show. It's amazing, actually. And, and so we go to it every year. It starts at about 4 o'clock uh, with a parade. And then they have these festivities. And they have, you know, uh, food trucks and all kind of stuff out. And then at 9.45, they shoot off the fireworks. So though it begins at 4 o'clock, Team Wood does not go until 7.45 because ain't nobody got time to sit out in the sun that long with four kids. And so, but we love to go because they have a dance floor set up. And so we love to go and we'll shag a, a little bit um, American, not British. So we'll do that. I know y'all think Monk's Corner is crazy, but we ain't that crazy, all right? So, but we'll do that. We eat some caramel corn. Uh, we, we enjoy people watching and just kind of sit there. And so then around 9.45, we, we, or 9.30, we lay our blankets down. We get ready for the fireworks show. At 9.45, we're there. We're watching the show. It's going off. It's amazing. It's incredible. And right in front of us, Isabel, who's sitting beside me, and I see some movement of this family. And what's happening is, is the dad is starting to pick everything up, and he's kind of like, hey, get that. Yeah, let's get that. And Isabel turns to me, and she goes, they just started, Dad. It's not almost over, is it? Isn't it longer than this? I said, no. There's a lot of time left. She says, why would someone leave just a few minutes into the fireworks show? And I didn't have time to explain to her right then because we were watching the fireworks show. But I know exactly why somebody would leave during the fireworks show just a few minutes in because there were 5,000 people at this fireworks show, which means there was 2,000 cars. And I know this type of guy. In fact, you may be this type of guy. He does not sit in line in a car anywhere. And so he was getting his kids up and moving along so he could beat the traffic. And I know some of you, they, you leave sporting events, you leave concerts, you leave fireworks shows, you leave Seacoast Church. We see you doing response time. You're like, that, that last song, we got that one on CD. We'll just listen to it in the car. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Let's get in the road. And they, this is what you're doing. So I know, I couldn't hear him, but I bet he was telling his kids, you can see the fireworks fine from the parking lot. Just come on, let's get in the car. And what happened was, he failed to connect, this is that. The only reason that you pack up the car and go and sit in the heat the only reason you go and deal with 5,000 people, the only reason you pay $7.50 for a small lemonade because they know you are famished, the only reason you do that is to see the fireworks show. Like this is that which we came for. This is that. Today, I want to help us connect this and that. Because I know that there are some of you here that are going through some things that if you can connect this and that, it's going to help you make it on the journey. If you can connect this and that, you're going to grow. Do you know all growth really comes from being able to connect this happens so that this is that. And I want to help us to connect that today through one of my favorite stories in the Bible. 
And it's the story of Naomi in the book of Ruth. And I love the book of Ruth. I do know there's a book of Ruth, by the way. I do know that. And the book of Ruth is really about Naomi. And it's a story of a woman who experiences some real pain. I mean, real pain, the type of pain that some of you have gone through. And she understands, though, that there was a process that God was taking her through. And if you can have patience on the process, that God's provision will eventually come. And so listen to Naomi's story of pain. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. And so her whole story starts out with famine and the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi, and their two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. In five short verses, we find that there is more pain and more life change that would take five novels to describe. And some of you have been through that type of pain. Some of you are walking through that type of pain now. You could describe what happened to you in a sentence or two, but the truth is, is that it is incredibly painful, and the details of the pain would take story after story to truly understand. Naomi's gone through that. She has lost much, and some of you have lost much. You've lost dreams. You've lost relationships. You've lost marriages. Some of you feel like you've lost control. In fact, really, you've lost hope. Maybe you come here this weekend and you really are the end and you feel like you're losing all hope. Naomi was there. She had lost every man that she had ever loved. Her husband and then a son and then another son. Death had brought much pain into her life. She has no way of taking care of herself. In this society, these men would have taken care of her. Now she's alone. She's in a foreign land where she doesn't know anybody, isn't kin to anyone. No one to take care of her. But Naomi does something, and it's something that I believe we can learn from, is she makes a move, and it's a move that is her connecting this and that. Look at verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. You see, even though Naomi did not like the way that God was controlling things, and I know that there have been times in your life and in my life, maybe there's something you're going through right now that is like this, where you don't like the way God is controlling things. But she teaches us something. Even though she doesn't like the way God is controlling things, she knows that he's still in control. And there's something that she finds in that. She finds just a little bit of hope. In fact, she finds this is that connection, seed and harvest. 
Seed and harvest is the first connection that we have to make. This is that. This is that. See, we often see the harvest in someone else's life, but we miss the seed. We miss the point when they planted something. It was back when they were discouraged. It was back when they had very little hope, but they found just a small little seed of hope, and they planted that seed of hope. And with that seed of hope planted, something began to grow up in their life. You see, there's a seed. This is that to harvest. In fact, we've all seen it in the acorn to the oak tree. It's hard to believe that this, this oak tree, is really that, this acorn, this small seed, that something came that large, that hopeful from something this small. But Naomi got this. There was a connection, this to that that she needed to make. Because sometimes you just have to start with a small seed of hope. And Naomi, listen to what she's doing in verse six. She's listening. She's listening. Naomi is listening for where God is moving. She's, she's hearing, and she hears that God is moving over there. And she knows, I don't have very much hope, but the little bit of hope I have, she knows I've got to bury it, and I've got to plant it, and hopefully what will grow up is something that God can bring up into my life because she knows the only way I'm going to make it, the only way I'm going to get through this is if I have the seed of hope and I realize I got to find God and then I got to follow him to where he is. So she finds God and she starts to follow him where? On the road that, lead them, that would lead them back. It's where we've got to get. I love the road that will lead you back. Some of you are on the road that will lead you. It's why I wake up every morning to do what I do, to pastor a church, because I love the road that leads you back. I love the road that will lead you back to a healed marriage. I love the road that will kind of bring healing of your hurts that you've walked through. I love the road that gets somebody who is addicted to something on a road that gets them to no longer being addicted. I love the road that will lead you back. And the road that will lead you back is that point in your life where you plant the seed, the seed to harvest. This is that. See, the production, the produce in your life and, and your, your provision in your life, God taking care of you, his blessings, will be determined by the seed that you plant. You say, I want a great marriage. Well, what preparations are you making in your marriage now? What are you planting now that will grow up later? You say, I want to be, I want to have great kids that grow up to be great adults. What are you planting in their life now? Like, like, what are you doing in their life right now to plant a seed that one day will grow up into a harvest? Because there is provision, that's God's blessing. And there is produce, that's God's reward, waiting on your life. But sometimes we get discouraged at God because there's no fruit in our lives and can I remind you, don't get discouraged at God for fruit that is not being harvested in your life for a seed that you never planted. It won't grow unless you plant it. And so it's got to be that little seed of hope. That little seed of hope. Then what did Jesus tell us? He said, if you can just get a seed, just as small as a mustard seed, you'll be able to move mountains. This is that. Let me show you another connection. Pain and process. So Naomi, she starts on the road, and for some of you this weekend, that's 
where you're at. You just need to start on the road that will lead you back. You just need to take that first step onto the road. But she gets on the road, and some of you have started before, and you know what Naomi experienced. Listen at verse 8. But on the way, somebody here knows what it feels like to be on the way, in process. Like you took the step to a better marriage and you've been going to a couple sessions of counseling and you've been trying to speak life and you've been trying to do better things, but you're still on the way and you're not there yet. And it's on the way that most of life's despairs come into our lives. It's in the process on the way that it gets hard. It's in the process on the way that we get discouraged it's in the process, not when we take that first hopeful step, but it's about a couple steps in when we start to doubt, did God really call me to do this? Did he really say that he'd give me the strength to do this? And we start to doubt God's calling and his anointing and his passion in our life that we had when we took that step of faith and that step of hope. But on the way, verse 8 says, Naomi said, everybody say said, let me make sure you're really awake. Everybody say what she said back in verse 6. Naomi heard. Everybody say heard. Did you notice back when she was getting hope, she heard. Now in verse 8, she says. Can I, can I tell you something? And this may not be news to you, but it'll be news to some of you. The worst advice you can possibly take is your own advice. You give awful advice to yourself. Now, you might give good advice to other people, but does anybody have a testimony on some things you've talked yourself into? Some things you've said to yourself and talked yourself out of? So some things that you've done that you wished you wouldn't have spoken that over your life? See, the greatest enemy to our soul, the greatest liar to our soul sometimes can be our very own words. And Naomi says, she starts to talk. On the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. I find this interesting because all of a sudden Naomi has more security in an earthly marriage to a godless people than she does the God that she's chasing after. Sometimes when we get discouraged, we lose sight of our faith. And she loses sight. She says, it'd be better if you just went and took care of yourself for now rather than seeing the eternal reward that waited if she would go after God. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down, and they wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give you birth to other sons who would grow up and be your husbands? That's how I like to read it, because I think that's how she said it. No, daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And then I think she went like that when she was done saying it. Because she was mad. Sometimes you get mad when you're discouraged, and you don't want people to stay with you. You don't want people to stick with you. You don't want people to be there for you. You want them to leave. You, you're trying to push them away, and they won't go away, and it makes you angry, and it makes Naomi marry. And then she says, just in case they might have a little bit of hope left, she wants to make sure she squashes that too. She says, and even if it were possible, it's not, but even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. 
things are far more bitter for me than for you. Can, can I tell you something? Sometimes when you're going through something, you think you're the only one going through something and you discount the pain of others. And she does that. Do you realize Orpah and Ruth's husbands just died? Like they've been through some pain too, but she says, oh, things are far, far bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She begins to even feel like God has let her down. Along the way, on the way, she gets discouraged. And again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. The story takes a little bit of a turn. So Orpah walks away. I want you to notice something. Orpah cried. And she said, no, I don't want to leave you. But then as soon as things got really painful, she walked away. There are sometimes the people who put on a show like they will be with you are the ones who will walk away first. And let me tell you, there are people who can walk away from you because they can't connect the pain and the process. This is that. And Orpah can't do that. She can't stick with the pain. I've had people in my life who have told me, I will stick with you. I will be with you to the end. I'll always be your friend. I'll always be there for you. And then as soon as it got a little bit painful, as soon as it got a little bit hard, they walked away. And I want you to hear, this is going to free some people up. I want you to hear something. If someone can walk away from you, let them walk. Let them walk. I want you to stop chasing them down. I want you to stop being concerned about them because here's why. Some of you are about to quit on yourself. You're about to quit on the dream that God has given you simply because someone quit on you. And so quickly, it can, it can mess us up in our lives. Let me show you what it can do. I think it's, uh, Katie and Josh, come up here just for a moment. They're going to help me illustrate something. You guys give a hand for Katie and Josh as they come up here. Katie. You're going to play the part of Orpah. Josh, you're going to play the part of Ruth. You are a beautiful Ruth. All right, so sometimes you got Ruth and Orpah with you. And when they're both with you, it feels awesome. It's great. We're going along. We're high-fiving each other. Life is good. We're on the way that will lead us home. And we're getting there. And then things start, start to get discouraged. And all of a sudden, Orpah leaves. Just walk right over there. Okay, so Orpah leaves. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to, Ruth is here. They're with us, but we turn our back on Ruth because we're so concerned about the Orpah who left. And so we're over here like, Orpah, but why'd you leave? I mean, can I, can I get your digits again? Can we talk? Can we text? Can we Instagram? Can we something? And Orpah's just like, no. And then you go back, and Ruth is like, still there. Ruth's still there. We, we turn our back on them again, and we're just so concerned. I can tell you as a pastor, 1,500 people a weekend show up to our church. 1,500 people are Ruth. They're there. One person leaves, and I'm like, why'd you leave? I mean, why, why, do, don't you like me? Do you not like me? Am I not good looking enough? Well, what's going on? Like, what's happening? And then over here is Ruth, and I want to show you something, because this, this changed. When I was reading this, this changed. A whole book of the Bible is written about Ruth. We don't hear about Orpah again until the 1980s when she starts a talk show and builds a media empire. Like, we never hear about her again. And it's not that Orpah's a bad person. Listen to me. The one who walked away is not as a bad person. It's the fact that their part in your story is done. And see, we believe that our destiny is tied to the one who departed when in fact it is dependent upon the one who digs their heels in and says, I will stay with you. When we're pushing them away, they dig their heels in and say, I'm still here. I'm still going to be here. I'm going to be. Would you give these guys a hand for helping me out and thank them? But Ruth, 
on the other hand, she, she clung tightly. Can I, can I give you two more words that will just help you, that will free you up for the Orpahs in your life? There's some Orpahs who've walked away from you, and I want to give you just two words that will free you up, that will make, you will leave here going, I've got so much freedom. They're godly, biblical words that are going to help you. Sometimes you just need to look at the Orpahs in your life, and you need to say, bye, Felicia. That's from the book of Joel, I think. I think that's in the book of Joel. And you just need to say, all right, that's done. Your story's done. Because look at what Ruth does. Ruth, on the other hand, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. She dug her heels in. Naomi's trying to push her away. Naomi's trying to get her to leave her alone. She, she said, just desert me, please. Just make me feel like someone, to, I want to be hurt. But she clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law's going back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Look at verse 16. But, sometimes you need a big butt in life. I like big butts, and I cannot lie. I love them when they're in the Bible, because every time God puts a butt in the Bible, something amazing happens. Someone, but they stayed. But they prayed. But they hung on with me. But the Holy Spirit showed up. But what I, all Naomi was saying was natural things. She was just saying, look, I can't have a baby. Even if I could have a baby, could you wait for them to grow up before you would marry them? It's all natural, but supernatural things begin to happen in our lives. All she was saying was what was ordinary. It's just ordinary that you would go back to your mom. I'd go back to my people. You don't need to come with me, Ruth. Why you need? But, but Ruth knew something. She wanted something extraordinary in her life, not just ordinary. And when the buts come in Scripture, we see that. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She saw something in Naomi's God that she likes. See, see, some of you need to be a Ruth to someone. You need to cling in, and you need to just put your heels in. Some of you have the opportunity to be a Naomi to someone. Even in your pain, even in your despair, you connect pain and process. You show them this is that, and they will see your God through you. And she sees her God. She says, I want to be with your God. And she says, wherever you die... I will die, and there I will be buried. Everybody needs somebody who will love them to death and just walks alongside of them, says, I'll be here with you through everything, and I will walk through the pain with you because pain brings people together. Pain transcends color. Pain transcends background. Pain transcends socioeconomic status. Pain brings people together, and it brings them together, and it says, the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Now, I want you to see something with me here real quick, because I think this is going to encourage somebody. Sometimes you feel like nobody likes you, everybody hates you, you think you'll just go eat worms. And you're discouraged, and nobody's texting, and nobody's calling, and nobody's checking in on you, and that friend hadn't called in a long time. But I want to give you some encouragement. When she shows back up to Bethlehem, she hasn't heard from Bethlehem since her and Elimelech left. She hadn't heard, but she shows back up, and the entire town was excited by their arrival. There are people who love you. There are people who do miss you. There are people who are just waiting to hear from you, and they may be too busy, and they may not have contacted you. Who knows why? But they love you, and why don't you just contact them and see if you don't get some encouragement back from them like Naomi did, and they get encouragement. And when they get home, 
that back to Bethlehem, Ruth would eventually meet Boaz, and they fall in love, and in the process, they get Boaz asked to marry her, and he goes and goes through all the work and the channels to be able to marry her, and he does. And at the end of the process, it's a process filled with a lot of pain. The Bible leaves us with this unbelievably beautiful picture. It says, then Ruth, or Naomi, took the child in her arms and cared for him. This is Ruth and Boaz's child, their baby that they've had. She's a grandmother now. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. See, Naomi had lost who loved her. She had lost her joy in life. She tried to rename herself bitter. Some of you have renamed yourself bitter. You walk around, you're bitter because of what happened, because you haven't connected. This is that. But in this moment, God brings a grandson into her life who would have her a great-grandson whose name was Jesse, who would have another son whose name was David, who 14 generations later, Mary would have a son whose name was Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart, I don't, can't prove that this happened, it's not in the Bible, but I just feel like it was there. That at some point, Naomi's holding this little Obed, and she's gone through the pain just like you've walked through the pain. She, she's tried to connect this as that just like you're trying to connect it. She's prayed for some stuff. She's asked for some stuff. And she's sitting there holding Obed. And the joy of her life is being filled back up again. That hope that was planted has started to spring up something. And now there's some fruit. There's some harvest in her life. And I believe the Spirit of God just leaned down to her and whispered something, and I like to believe he whispered something like this. This is that. What you're going through right now, this is that. He's, he's creating something in you. He's stirring something up in you. I know it's painful. He weeps right along with you, and he'll never desert you. He'll never leave you. He's dug his heels in the ground, and he says, I'm going to walk through you. This is the road that will lead you back. And I know some of you are on that road, and for some of you that are here this weekend, where you're at is you are discouraged on the road. You took the step, and you're there, but you feel like you didn't plant something. You buried something. It must have died. And what I need to tell you is that you just need to water it with the hope of the Holy Spirit. And as you begin to water it, it's going to grow up in you. Don't give up your marriage. Don't give up on your marriage now. You've tried too hard. You've worked too hard. Don't give up on your child that's walked away now. They, they, they're going to come back. Jesus wants to do something in their life. You just got to keep walking. You got to find God. You got to follow God. You got to keep walking. Don't give up on your dream now. I think some of you came in here just about ready to give up. And what God is saying is, I don't bury things that are dead. I resurrect things that are buried. And I want to resurrect a dream in your life. I want to bring something out of that soil that seems like it's the ashes of pain. Oh, no, the pain was just a fertilizer to grow something up in your life. He's going to use it. Nothing will be wasted if you'll connect. There's seed, and then there's harvest. This is that. There's pain and process. This 
is that. Don't miss it when it comes. Don't pack up too early because the fireworks show is just starting. God, thank you so much. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit moving in our midst. Thank you for the pain that is being processed even now. Thank you for the provision that you wanna bring into people's life. Thank you for the hope that has been planted in someone's life. Someone walked in here hopeless and you have filled them up with hope, God. And so God, would you show them the fruit of the harvest? Would you show them, God, what you wanna do in their lives? In Jesus' name, as we respond, amen.